Hello, this is Joyce Chang, Chair of Global Research at J.P. Morgan Chase, and you're listening to All Into Account, our global cross-asset strategy podcast, where we take a look at the key trends impacting financial markets and the global economy. In this episode, we're examining ESG and supply chain risk, with a focus on the key themes that are emerging in the S, the social, and G, governance pillars. So the current focus on securing resilient supply chain has spurred much deeper evaluation of the S social pillar. And that is putting the spotlight on human capital management issues related not only to human and labor rights, but also to diversity, equity, and innovation considerations. A recent study by McKinsey found that seven of the 10 most common ESG um, initiatives have significant supply chain components. And at the same time, the social factors are the most challenging ESG pillars to measure, quantify, and account for. And they also account for the majority of the ESG controversy ratings. Separately, governance is also coming into its own, as it is now the regulatory response to address E and S considerations. I am so pleased to be joined by my colleagues, Sophie Warwick, head of EMEA Equity Research and co-head of ESG Research, who will be moderating today's discussion. She will be joined with Pedro Martins, Jr., Head of Latin American Equity Research, and Stella Zhu, Executive Director of Strategic Research. Now let me hand the floor over to Sophie. Thank you, Joyce. Lizzie highlighted social considerations are on the rise as global supply chains undergo transformation. Countries are increasingly focusing on national security in their own way, and regulations, geopolitics, business ethics, and environmental impact are increasingly becoming key factors when choosing suppliers. Pedro, you've written on the intersection of geopolitics and trade with a focus on how supply chains will keep on needing to be restructured. How might corporates be impacted and which sectors are worth keeping an eye on in your view? Thank you, Sophie, for the question. U.S. and China tensions accelerated the shift towards more diversified regional trade and supply chains since President Trump's election in 2016. Notably, the tech sector remains a difficult space because of export controls and Chinese industrial policies, all leading to a need to replace important components with domestic ones. And the US has also introduced more restrictive legislation, such as the CHIPS Act that focuses on supply chain reshoring and export controls of AI-related semiconductors. Further to that, Russia's war on Ukraine has added to the debate on the benefits of globalization. With national security considerations now outweighing gains from trade, which could lead to substantial supply chain relocation over time as well. A number of governments want to reduce their dependence on foreign powers for energy, industrial commodities, food, tech again, money, and medicine. Now, these concerns are likely to lead uh, to greater regionalization of supply chains. Those thicker business borders could command more fragmented supply chains, and you can take that for the diversification of geographical risk, and this could be a threat to economies of scale and profit margins. And protectionist measures also could have unintended collateral effects on higher prices, inefficient capital allocation, capex postponing due to fundamental uncertainties. And finally, for your first question, possible gainers from these trends. 
less foreign competition could mean higher margins for domestic players. So local winners and rural riders would also emerge as good investment cases. And on a bottom-up basis, we would recommend a bias towards small cap businesses as they tend to have lower correlation to global equities and are more domestically geared. Thank you. And you highlighted the variety of corporate strategies underway by US corporates to reconfigure trade and supply chains to boost domestic industry while working in tandem with friendly allies or partners. What are some of the new supply chain strategies that are being adopted that you see? Well, Sophie, let me explore this question from three different angles. One, nearshoring. So nearshoring presents a unique opportunity for Mexico to expand its economic role to become even a bigger supplier to North America. This is led by the country's advantage to become a larger player in US imports, such as its strategic geographical location, experienced manufacturing sector, available logistics and industrial network, low cost workforce, and a vast array of free trade agreements. Number two, French shoring. The US government's plans for French shoring should encourage further supply chain relocations into ASEAN, Southeast Asia. We believe ASEAN's supportive policies, cost competitiveness, industrial development, linkages to existing manufacturing hubs and rising middle-income consumers are important structural drivers that should keep attracting FTI. And finally, China plus one strategy. So as business look to diversify supply chain risk, India is expected to gain from manufacturing moving out of China. India's labor cost advantages are explicit versus the rising labor costs in China. Government initiatives, formalization of Indian industry catalyzed by recent policy measures, GST and Bankruptcy Act, are increasing the digitalization, uh, all helping in increasing competitiveness versus global peers. So back to you, Sophie. Thanks, Pedro. Stella, you wrote about how social considerations are on the rise as global supply chains undergo transformations. What are the key themes and examples that you're seeing? That's a great question, Sophie. Policymakers are increasingly looking to build geoeconomic alliances to reflect a new social contract for global trade. Supply chains are being disrupted by the need for national security, and companies are diversifying to be more resilient, which means moving production locally or to allied countries. This means that we're shifting to a new era of global trade. Britain was 1.0, which was based on the belief that free trade and capital flows could lead to global adoption of a neoliberal political system, has now shifted to what we call Bretton Woods 2.0, which would restrict free trade and financial flows to economies of allied countries. And in this context, the current focus on securing resilient supply chains has spurred deeper evaluation of the social pillar with human capital risk and focus. Companies are increasingly sourcing goods from a complex supply chain spanning multiple countries, often with radically different political regimes and human rights practices. Workers are increasingly viewed as assets that are just as critical to a firm's performance as physical and financial assets. 
Specifically, human rights concerns in China is garnering the greatest attention. A number of pension funds across the globe are excluding Chinese companies, and some explicitly due to human rights and labor concerns. The Asia region has been the most impacted given its deep network of manufacturing hubs. The textile and clothing industry face the most pressure over labor rights allegations. In the U.S., the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act was signed into law at the end of 2021, which imposes sanctions and importation limits on goods produced using forced labor in China. And in other jurisdictions, such as Canada, is looking to implement new modern slavery reporting requirements, as well as child labor import ban that will go into effect next year. Mexico's recent ban on imports made with forced labor is in alignment with the USMCA. And the German Supply Chain Due Diligence Act, as well as the EU-wide Corporate Sustainability Due Diligence and a proposed EU ban on goods containing forced labor are all moving human rights due diligence away from the realm of corporate social responsibility and into the sphere of regulatory compliance. And this pushes companies to evidence credible human rights monitoring up the value chain. We believe that the key difference on human rights due diligence requirements and forced labor rules in the EU versus the US is that in the US, regulations are based on obligation of means, while the EU introduces an obligation of results. Thanks, Stella. And what key trends do you see for the social and governance pillars, and how does that compare in terms of controversies? Sophie, last year, shareholders backed more social resolutions during the proxy seasons than in previous years. And much of the focus was on human capital management issues around human rights, labor rights, along with DD&I concerns. In the U.S., the SEC is scrutinizing human capital resource disclosure requirement, and additional rulemaking is expected this year. Despite increased interest, the social pillar remains the most challenging of the three ESG pillars to quantify. The institutionalization of the S pillar will require taxonomies, questionnaires, and greater um, third-party verification. This pillar also dominates all five levels of Sustainalytics controversy ratings, meaning that social risk can lead to more reputational damage than environmental and governance risk. Regionally, North America has the most composition of high-level social controversies. With sustainable finance regulatory requirements increasing in scope to combat greenwashing, the G pillar is also entering a new phase and increasingly becoming a means to fulfill the S and the E objectives. In a 2022 Bloomberg survey among senior traders at 93 European asset management firms shows an overwhelming consensus that governance ranks above all in importance since avoiding regulatory scrutiny has become top priority. Focus on improving disclosure could also push ESG activities under risk and compliance rather than at the board of director level. Increase in disclosure also comes with more shareholder litigation on ESG issues. So far, ESG litigation has largely focused on climate change or catastrophic environmental events. But the pandemic has sharpened the focus on social issues and now driving companies to enhance legal and compliance oversight. Overall, the number of governance-related shareholder proposals, such as board and CEO restructuring to proposing new terms of compensation that went to vote at Russell 3000 companies saw a 25% increase from 2021 to 2022. 
At the same time, passage and average support felt considerably as these proposals are becoming more action-oriented rather than disclosure-based. Board diversity in linking executive compensation to ESG performance remain as two key themes within corporate governance. Public companies are facing growing pressure to improve diversity metrics. NASDAQ, for example, has taken the lead by requiring companies listed on the exchange to meet various diversity metrics and to publicly disclose statistics on the demographic make of their board. Last year, the EU adopted landmark quotas for women on boards, requiring companies to have 40% of women um, among non-executive directors or 33% among all directors. And in terms of linking executive compensation to ESG, 73% of S&P 500 companies have done that, and mostly linking composition to human capital management goals. Here, environmental targets are less often linked. The sectors that most frequently adopt ESG-linked compensation models include utilities and energy, and the least frequently linked are the consumer, discretionary, and IT sectors, Sophie. Thank you, Joyce, Stella, and Pedro, for joining me today to talk about our recent paper, ESG and Supply Chain Risks, putting the spotlight on S and G in ESG. This concludes the first part of our two-part discussion. Please join us for the second part of our series, key themes for the S&G and investment screens to learn more. Stay tuned for more episodes of All Into Account, JP Morgan's global research podcast series as we explore the key macro and market trends impacting financial markets. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining today. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read JP Morgan Research's reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Companies, all right reserved. This episode was recorded on the 9th of May, 2023.